You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. To our Sunday gathering, my name is Josh. I'm one of the elders here at Redeemer. And if you're a guest with us, I want to welcome you. I want to recognize sometimes it's hard to walk into a new church with lots of crazy looking people and, and, and you just can feel out of place. And we want you to know that you're, we're, we're, we want to welcome you here. Um, we are so glad that you're here, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus, whether you're seeking to try to understand who is this Jesus, we are so glad that you're here. In fact, we believe that God is so powerful and mighty that he uh, has actually arranged this gathering, this day, for you to pour out grace for those who are new and those who are regulars here, that he, in his providence, meets with us here this morning. Now, we're currently working through the Gospel of Mark, as we just read. And last week, Pastor Rick walked us through the last part of Mark chapter 7. And in Mark chapter 7, we saw two uh, different miracles that Jesus did for undeserving, unlikely Gentile people. Remember the woman whose humility and faith led Jesus to free her daughter from spiritual bondage. We also encountered Jesus compassionately heal a man who was deaf as he entered into that man's world and very graciously restored his hearing. We could summarize by saying we saw the kingdom of God breaking into the lives of unlikely people, of unlikely Gentiles in personal and powerful ways. And we pick up today in chapter 8, verses 1 through 21, and our text is going to be a second uh, account of Jesus feeding the multitudes. How many of you were here uh, for the first time Jesus fed the multitudes several weeks ago? Anybody here that week? Okay, all right. For some of you, it's just going to be a refresher. For some of you, uh, it's going to be a second example of him feeding the multitudes. And so this morning, we're going to look at round two of the miraculous feedings. In round two, Mark is going to focus on the human tendency to miss the presence and power of God. It's going to show us this morning our problem of spiritual blindness. We'll see that even the disciples who walk with Jesus, who who live with him day after day, were prone to only seeing the surface of what he was doing. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, I think we're going to see, too, that this problem of spiritual blindness is deep within our hearts as well. Let me pray, and then we'll work back through our text. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning as people in need. We come to you this morning as people whose lives have been all over the place this week, and we ask you by your Spirit to recenter us in Jesus Christ. We ask this morning as we look at these sacred scriptures that you would feed and nourish our souls by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you and praise you, Father, that you have given the Son, Jesus, the true bread of life, to feed us, to give us who were filled with death eternal life. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit. It is in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, let's pick up reading again in verse 1. We're going to look at this second miraculous feeding. Mark 8, verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, 
he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint along the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. They ate and were satisfied, and they took up broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples, and they went to the district of Dalmanutha. So here, once again, we have a large crowd gathered around Jesus, and they're far from their normal means of food. The text tells us they're in a desolate place. There are no golden arches within sight, okay? Even though that maybe that's food, maybe it's not. Um, and this group that's, that's with Jesus, this crowd, has been with him for several days, the text tells us. They've been listening to him. They've been learning from his teaching. The text tells us that many of these people came from far off places. They journeyed near and far to, to, to hear from him, to be around him. And Jesus knows that they've been here a long time in this desolate place, in Gentile territory once again, and he knows that having a long road home that he can't send them away empty-handed. They're going to exhaust themselves. They're going to, they're going to faint along the way, the text says. And Jesus, moved by compassion, sees their physical hunger, their very real need, and he's moved to feed them. If you recall back to the first feeding, you know a little bit of how this story is about to go. It's going to go very similar, right? So there's thousands of hungry people. They're, uh, they're about to go hungry for the journey, and Jesus is moved to feed them. He asks the disciples, you know, how much bread do you have? You would think the disciples would begin to connect the dots between last time, but it seems like they're, they're a little blind here. <laughs> They bring Jesus the little bit that they have, and Jesus miraculously multiplies it and feeds a crowd of 4,000. And not only does he feed them, but there's leftover. The text says seven baskets full. Jesus has more than enough to feed the nations. So Jesus feeds them. And he does so in a way that is going to echo back, in a sense, to the Exodus story when it talks about these people in a desolate place. There's a little bit of an echo there that we start to hear. Remember Israel, when they wandered out of Egypt, they were in where? The wilderness. Uh, and they had these same kind of questions. How's God going to feed us here? And so in one sense, it's echoing back to the Exodus. And in another, the way that Mark tells his story, it's echoing forward to the, the Lord's Supper and the Lord feeding his church with his body, his bread. 
In fact, the word here that that is used when Jesus, it says having given thanks, that word thanks here that he gives before he breaks the bread is the word Eucharist or Eucharisteo. And this language is no doubt put in here by Mark to give us a hinting of of what is to come, of how, how with a little bit of resource, God would feed the whole hungry Gentile world. And so again, after feeding this Gentile crowd, there is an abundance of leftovers. Jesus has fed these people and they are satisfied. Now, this is a really beautiful story. But if we're, if we're kind of curious readers of the text, we might ask the question, Mark, that's great, okay? But in some ways, you kind of just told us that story, right? Like, like there's so many, we, we know in Scripture that there's many miracles Jesus did that were not written down, right? Uh, if we, we were to write them down, it would, would fill the whole world with, with paper. Um, but why would Mark tell a story just two, three chapters later that is so similar to one he has just told? Well, there could be many reasons, and scholars often debate, but But I think one of the main reasons Mark gives this second account so close to the first feedings of the multitudes is to highlight this problem of spiritual blindness. We might call it unbelief. Even of those disciples closest to Jesus. You see, stacked one after another, this second story continues to expose the deep-rooted problem of spiritual blindness. You know, sometimes when a friend or someone you're in community with, when you need to call them out on an issue, maybe there's a destructive pattern or something they've done that, it, that has hurt you, um, you know, or, or maybe you need to be called out on, on, on that. By the way, none of us like those conversations. It's always painful. It's always awkward. But, but one of the things I've found helpful when we, when, we ha- when we want to have that conversation or someone is coming to us with something they're calling out in us or challenging us with, is, is when they don't just kind of give us blind, uh, abstract accusations, like, you know, Jesus didn't just say, Mark just didn't say, oh, those disciples were unbelieving, you know, half-wits, they, they didn't know what they were doing, right? When someone comes to us, they don't just say, hey, you, you're, you're an idiot and you're angry, right? Like, that's unhelpful. Sometimes it happens, and it usually just re- re- results in defensiveness and fighting, But I found it really helpful that when someone comes to me with a concern or whether I'm going to someone else, that they give concrete, clear examples of what they're talking about. That they tell me, not just maybe one one off story, but they say, hey, I want to talk about these couple of things that show a pattern of behavior in your life. And it's very detailed. And so I'm not just assuming or wondering, I'm seeing exactly what the issue is. And I think in many ways in our text, Mark, through the testimony of the the apostolic witness, is having us look at multiple stories that are going to kind of compound and expand upon each other that give us concrete examples of our unbelief. Not just of the disciples or the Pharisees or of, of the leaven of Herod, as we'll see, but our unbelief, our struggle to see what is spiritually true our struggle to see the power and presence of God in the world. Let's keep reading verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking a sign from from heaven to test him. 
And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Now here in verse 11 through 13, we're going to get a certain example of a, of a specific kind of spiritual blindness. This kind of spiritual blindness that, that uh, Mark is talking about here, it demands proof, or what the text calls a sign, for God to prove himself to these religious people, for Jesus to prove that he is who he says he is. They, want, they demand objective proof that he is the Messiah. Now, it's important to note this, that while they're asking for a sign, they're really not asking for a sign. In fact, the whole agenda for them to come and follow and really taunt and kind of, they're like gnats that Jesus just can't get rid of, right? Is because they want to get Jesus. They want to catch him. They want to defraud him. They want to, uh, uh, they want to destroy him. Ultimately, this would lead to them colluding with Rome to crucify him. But they're not coming to Jesus on Jesus' terms, they're coming to Jesus, looking down at Jesus, saying, Jesus, prove yourself to us. Blinded by religious pride, they've come for a fight. You see, they're already right, and they're merely looking for a way to destroy Jesus. Now, there's a lesson here. No matter what Jesus does... No matter how miraculous his ministry, how much he's on the move, he remains hidden to those who seek him with pride. You cannot find Jesus while simultaneously hovering above him. It's impossible to see God from above. You see, this is the kind of spiritual blindness that finds its, uh, its starting point in human pride a form of pride that raises ourselves above God so that we look down and kind of survey our options from God. God is not revealed from heaven to us, but we look and pick and see what God will accord to our standards. I've talked with people over the years, and some people, you know, we talk about faith and, you know, here that I, I, I'm in pastoral ministry and different things like that, so it brings up a faith conversation. And, and some people say, why can't God just show himself to me? And I'm like, well, okay, okay, tell me more. And like, like I just want a sign. Like, I don't want, you know, I'm like, well, what about Jesus? And like, well, I just want like, you know, I want him to just like, just show up in front. If he's all powerful, why can't he just sit down in front of me and tell me he's God? In fact, if he did that, then I would be a follower of Jesus. You know, some people want him to, if you just write it, on the, write it in the sky, you know, give me a message in a bottle on the beach when I'm running to the, you know, oh, you're, he is indeed true, you know. And you see, we can't, we, we come to God oftentimes in, in this kind of pride, demanding that God come to us on our terms. And often I'll ask these people, I'll say, what if that's not who God is? What if, in fact, God cannot be seen from above? He cannot be seen by our pursuits that are fueled by human pride, but he's only seen when we are lowered, when we are humbled, when we are broken of our pride. What do the scriptures tell us? He's, to paraphrase, he's far from the proud, but he's near to the who? To the brokenhearted. Theirs is the earth. They will see God. 
You see, the Pharisees had slipped into a sort of religious pride where they had become so puffed up and elevated uh, that they could not see God right in front of them. Not only could they not see him, they would not see him. They were spiritually blind and hardened to the power and presence of God that was right in front of their eyes. And I love that the text doesn't say, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person that when, when they, if they treated me like that, I'd be like, you jerks! Like, I want to fight. I'm not really that angry, but, you know, <laughs> maybe I need to, you know, deal with that. Um, but Jesus, the text tells us, just like he did last week, he, he deeply sighs. He just sighs. Here these guys are again. And they don't see it. They don't see it. I'm reminded of Luke 13, 34, when Jesus sighs here, when it says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you were not willing Keep reading verse 14. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. Uh oh. And they only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they just began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the, four, for the 5,000, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And, the seven, uh, for, the, and seven for the 4,000, and how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? You see, we might expect the Pharisees, to miss Jesus. We've seen this time and time again throughout the gospel. But now Jesus is with his friends. He's with his closest disciples. And he warns them because he knows what's happening. He knows what's about to go on about the leaven of the Pharisees. We just talked about that religious pride that demands God prove himself on our terms. And he mentions Herod. We don't have time to go into Herod's, but there's another kind of pride, a rebellious pride that is fearful of God, but ultimately guided by the worship of pleasure. You see, both of those figures saw Jesus, were confronted with his mission and ministry, but they missed him. They didn't see him. They were spiritually blind. But see, ultimately, chapter 8 is not about us looking out at the world and saying they can't see God, they're, they're spiritually in darkness. It's about Jesus challenging his very disciples, those closest to him, that they too are affected by this problem of spiritual blindness. You see, even those human beings closest to Jesus 
we're not exempt from unbelief, from a hardened heart. As close as they were, their vision was still so blurred and their understanding of him lacking. And Mark, again, like I told you earlier, he's driving this home with yet another example of how they missed him. Even here, look at the situation we were in. It's almost comical. They're out on a boat, and guess what? They've only got one loaf of bread, right? You ever been on a trip, and, and, uh, and, and you get out on the trip, and, and you realize we didn't pack enough goods for this trip, or you get out on a hike, and you've got like only one pint of water or whatever it is, and, and, uh, and, and you start looking at each other, and there's kind of blaming and fighting. Like This, this is kind of the, the scene I start to see here. And it's almost, in light of the last two stories, it's like, are you, are you guys serious? What's going on here? They don't have enough bread to feed themselves. And on the one hand, maybe you uh, people who are always prepared and, and type A's looking out ahead all the time, maybe you're thinking, yeah, they, they should be uh, ashamed because they didn't plan well and they didn't prepare well. You know, that's what happens when you don't prepare. Um, but as one commentator states, Jesus is not disturbed by their lack of foresight, but with their lack of faith. He's not calling out their ability to plan, but their blindness to his presence and power. And he asked them, guys, don't you remember what just happened <laughs> like a few days ago, a few weeks ago? I find it interesting that, that they, they remember the facts when he asked them, like, how many, you know, and they tell him, like, how many leftovers bread? Like, you know, they, and they know the numbers. And yet, it hadn't hit them. It hadn't really sunk in. They were still walking in a sort of spiritual blindness to who Jesus was, who this was standing before him. Blindness by which they were prone to perceive only that which was on the surface. You guys remember back to the, I think it was our Jeremiah series, we talked about top line, bottom line. If you didn't, sorry, because I can't have time to go into this really in depth. But, but there's always an operation, a top line of what we see going on in the world, like the historical reality. And yet, as believers, we believe God transcends that and that there's this bottom line of what he's mysteriously doing in all of it. And they were only seeing the top line. They were only seeing what was on the surface. And when we look at merely the surface in this little episode, all we see is a poorly planned boat trip with many men and little bread. And if that's all we know to factor in, then we should get anxious. We should start fighting. We should start blaming. Anxiety should start to soar. And Mark is stacking up these stories because he wants us to see the depth of blindness, even in those closest to Jesus. Mark wants us to see that this is not just a problem with the disciples. This is an ancient human problem that goes all the way back, all the way back to Egypt, really all the way back to the garden. Will God feed us? And in our spiritual blindness, we tend to develop what Jack Miller calls an orphan syndrome. And if we don't believe he's going to feed us, guess what we do? We run out and try to find food on our own. 
We, we settle for creation over the Creator. Or creation apart from communion. Apart from givenness of God. And here in this story, all, all it wrapped up is, is a whole history of humanity that struggled to believe that God would provide, that He would feed, ultimately that God would give life. You see, sin has marred us. It's left us blinded to only see the surface. And without awareness and acknowledgement of God's power and presence, we go through this life as orphans, only calculating what we see, what we have, the bread that we've got in our pack. It's a problem for us. It's a problem for the disciples. We get to going fast in life, and before we know it, all we see is our lack of bread. All we see is the problem in front of us, and we're alone to figure it out. In our reactivity, our anxiety, our blindness to the presence and power of Christ in the world, we revert to those orphan uh, patterns of our first parents. We need to provide for ourselves because who else will? We forget that we're adopted, beloved, cared for, watched over, and rescued. We forget how deep the Father's love is, how comforting the Spirit's presence is, and how sufficient the risen Son is. And we demand and go out and find our own bread because if we don't, who else will? We're blind to the presence and power of God in the world. We need to go out and buy bread because how else can we and all these people eat? And ultimately, a life, a superficial life, leads to a meaningless life. A life where all there is is just a bunch of stuff. Now remember, Mark isn't um, just trying to badmouth the disciples, okay? The account is, after all, keep this in mind, coming from the disciples. So I think it's important that we, we hear this in that. It's as if they're looking back at their time with Jesus and now having their eyes opened by the Holy Spirit, they're saying, oh, how we missed it. Oh, oh how he was in his majesty and glory right in front of us, and we couldn't see it. Oh, how long did we see bread alone? You see, and just as Mark and the original disciples had to face their blindness and have their eyes open, we must face the same and have the same done for us. It's not just a problem for that unbelieving world out there. It's a problem for us. See, the earth is filled with the signs that are pointing us to the beauty and majesty of God. There's so many signs even today on your way here to this gathering that are, that are pointing to the glory and the majesty of God. And yet in our blindness, it'll be just another sunset, just another meal, just another loved one, just another day at the office. Just another ill-planned situation where we don't have, uh, where we have a bounty of problems and very little help. Just another long day with the kids. Just another row of trees. Just another mountain. 
Just another day. Just another piece of bread. Oh, what grief and sorrow our hearts shall feel when we wake up and see. You see, the disciples could recount this with painful honesty because later they would see. Not in full, but in part, because their spiritual blindness would be met with the power of the Holy Spirit that was poured out to them, opening their eyes to see the presence and power of God. Maybe this morning you need to hear this challenging question of Jesus. Do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? This week as I prepared, I found my my heart challenged. I found my heart filled with godly sorrow. How many meals have I shared that have just been more eating? How many people have I encountered that just felt like more problems? How many encounters with my children have I just tried to survive and get by? How many days have I wished would just pass? How many problems have I faced that I've felt alone responsible to solve? How many times have I seen merely bread alone? See, living as an orphan and in that mentality is exhausting. It's withering. It's lifeless. And yet Jesus does not cast off us or these hard-hearted and blind disciples. In fact, he gives us the sign of his own broken body and his bloodshed. He gives us the sign of his resurrected body. He pours out his spirit into the church so that our eyes may be opened. And he's not given up on you or on me, but in his radical mercy, he's given us his own broken body, his own spirit to penetrate the hardness of our hearts and illumine us to the truth we have. He's given us this word. It's not just a book. It's not just another book. It's a book filled with the presence and power of God. He's given us these sacraments we'll take in just a moment that aren't just bread, but they're meant to lift our hearts to heaven and see that he's here nourishing us. You're not alone. What did he promise us that behold, until the end of the age, I will not leave you or forsake you. He's given us this family so we can encourage one another. We can speak truth. We can love one another. And we see in the face of another the members of the body of Christ who are spirit-filled people. You see, church family, we are not left as orphans. We do not have to walk through a world that is disenchanted with meaning and the presence of God. We are not like the world who lives in a nihilistic view of the the world where all there is is what we see. We know that there's much more going on. In fact, the very reason that we gather for worship is so our eyes and our ears could be trained so that when we go home, it's not just another sunset. It's not just another meal. It's not just another problem. It's a person made in the image of God. 
It's not just much another neighbor bugging you, irritating you. It's an image bearer that you're sent to love. It's not just another beggar on the side of the street. It's an opportunity for the charity of Christ to move forward. Not just another sunset, but it's the grace of God to you. You see, we come here week after week, opening God's word, singing his truth, confessing our sin, being filled with the Spirit so we can see, so we can have our windshield kind of wiped off a little bit, not fully, but dimly. And one day we will see in full when Christ returns. And we will look back on so much of our life. I think sometimes we think of judgment as if we're just going to feel shame. I think we will look back and it will bring a sort of sorrow that we say, I can't believe it. How many days did I miss him? He was right there. I thought I was alone. He was right there. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning as people who know our tendency to be blind. Our own heart, many things in our world tell us that we are alone. They tell us that when there's only one loaf, we should panic and freak out and start blaming and fighting and stressing, and yet you say, you've got it. You can feed the whole world with one loaf. In fact, you've fed, fed the whole world with your own body and blood. You feed the entire church, all these needy, weary people. You feed us with yourself. Lord, this morning, would you let us see you? Would you let us approach even your word in this table by faith so that our hearts may be nourished and filled with you? And when we leave this place, may our eyes and our ears be open to your presence and power. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.